Well, friends, remain standing as uh, we come to God's word and have reverence. Uh, we open his word. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Galatians 5 if you want to join there. But we'll also have it on the screens this morning. Uh, these words are inspired, sufficient, and true. They're given to us in love. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you are severed from Christ, you would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Well, gracious Father, we come as your church, imperfect as we are, to receive once again your great message of grace, given to us freely so that we might be free. We see, receive it again today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you are a, a guest with us today, I'm really glad that you are here. Uh, we began a new sermon series today called All Caps, um, where we are beginning this final section that we are in of the book of Galatians, where Paul turns the corner now uh, to how does the gospel practically work out uh, in our lives. And we're calling it all caps because uh, Paul, you may not know this, Paul through the whole book has been using a, a scribe or a secretary, if you will, to write this letter from his dictation. They're writing this letter. But at the end of the letter, Paul actually takes a moment and he writes with his own handwriting and he says, see with what large letters I write to you. Uh, the, the sense that Paul is coming uh, to this moment of the letter uh, and saying, in all caps, are you paying attention? Grace changes everything. And I know we've had uh, new people uh, here uh, on Sundays with us since we began Galatians back in the fall. So uh, I, I wanted to just give a quick recap of the letter of Galatians, where we've been. Uh, the first two chapters, the Apostle Paul uh, kind of is recounting his apostleship, uh, how he came to be an apostle, not through other men, but through, through God. He, uh, in Acts 9, uh, it, we see the recounting of Paul's moment of conversion. Uh, Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and sends him to the Gentiles. I want you to be my apostle to the Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. Non Paul came to Galatians, to the people of Galatia, by accident, but it was God's plan all along for the spread and the explosion of the gospel to the Mediterranean world in the first century. And Paul shares uh, in these first two chapters, basically his spiritual autobiography, how, how he came to faith, how he was given authority, how he was uh, then received the friendship, the, the uh, commissioning from the other apostles to this task. Uh, chapters three and four uh, of Galatians is Paul's almost theological textbook. Um, yeah, he's dealing with the issues facing the church. The Judaizers have come up from Jerusalem 
and they're spreading the false teaching that you must be circumcised. Uh, you must eat kosher. Uh, you, you must uh, obey the Jewish Sabbath to be a true member of God's covenant family. You can't put your trust in Jesus and his finished work of salvation alone. That's not allowed. These chapters are Paul putting together his theological treatise, if you will, uh, weaving together the whole story of scripture into an argument of how God justifies sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and through this receiving this gospel, this good news, you, you will be, receive the promised Holy Spirit, which was the climax of this story through the Hebrew scriptures, that there would be this promised spirit that would come, that would be part of God's plan of redemption. Uh, now Paul turns in these final chapters, uh, much like he does in other letters of of his writing to application. Paul does this in Ephesians. We see, we see him do it in Romans. After he finishes his theological foundation to his book, he now turns the quarter to what does this look like in your life? How, how is this being worked out in your life? How is this theology taking on flesh? And so, um, so Paul turns here to how does this theology get worked out in our lives? And he says, it's through the gospel, through putting our trust and our confidence in Jesus, put, putting our life in his hands. That Jesus is the whole point of the story of scripture. That, that Jesus is the one all of scripture has been pointing to. That, that Jesus is the only one who can deliver. Uh, that's really why we come back again and again to our, our, our mission. It, it, it's so simple. It's, it's so short, inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. That's it, that we are called to be that kind of church. And, and Paul turns a corner here in these final two chapters. How is this getting worked out? Are you seeing the life-changing story of Jesus? Uh, is life change happening in your life? Is life change happening in your life? Uh, well, Paul in this section tells us there's two ways for how the gospel will bring life change. It's liberating and it is transforming. It's liberating and it's transforming. So let's look first at it's liberating. Uh, Paul invites us in the gospel, the story of Jesus in this final section. And we start in chapter five of Galatians. We learn the gospel is liberating. This is how he begins. Look at verse one. For freedom, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, Paul tells us that Christ came to liberate you. He came to set you free. Uh, this section almost seems simplistic. It almost seems redundant how Paul says it here. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Seems simple, seems redundant. But my friends, oh, how we struggle to actually find this kind of freedom in our lives. One of the biggest challenges we have today is the very concept and definition of the word freedom. Uh, in ancient cultures, there was a concept of the freedom to uh, within these bounds. There is a freedom to. Uh, we knew that we needed boundaries in our life. We needed a teaching that would guide us and be the authority over our life. And in the ancient, word, the ancient world, the word for uh, a teaching was a yoke that we see in our passage. But in our modern world, and definitely in Orlando, our modern world is consumed also with freedom, but a different kind of freedom. It's no longer freedom to, but it is a freedom from. How do I throw off authority? 
that has spoken in or oppressed me? How do, how do I throw off old identity markers that I don't think define who I truly am? How do I define myself as I want to be? Our modern world is consumed with freedom from. Uh, here's one example, but they're everywhere. <laughs> uh, this freedom from. This is from the magazine Free Inquiry. It says this, quote, some ideas can enslave you. Some can set you free. If you crave freedom from baseless dogma, if you want to think for yourself instead of submitting to tradition, authority, or blind faith, put aside religion, despair, guilt, and sin, and find new meaning and joy in your life, end quote. There it is. There is liberation right there for you. That's Orlando's liberation. Lay aside dogmas, religion. Uh, but there are two things Paul got that sadly we have not learned yet in our modern world. The first one is he's telling us uh, that we, we come to is just set aside dogma. Have nothing to do with dogma ever. The only problem with that is in fact that that statement is a dogma. You, 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 can't, you can't get around it. You, you, the, the, the question isn't do you have a dogma? Is your dogma liberating you? That leads us to the second thing Paul got that we haven't gotten yet in Orlando. However you qualify it, however you qualify it, you will always have some yoke in your life. Some yoke. You, will always, have, you always have something in your life telling you this is how you find freedom. Uh, Paul is telling us Jesus and the gospel are the only way that you can be truly set free. Every other identity that you will take on will enslave you. If you take on a yoke that my career will set me free, uh, if, you take, if you take on that kind of yoke, my career will set me free, you will, you will be slaved to long hours, exhaustion, and overwork. Uh, if you take on the yoke, my appearance will set me free. My appearance. Uh, you will find the yoke drives you to constant self-critique, constant comparison with others, and the haunting, haunting reality that you are only getting older. If you take on the yoke that my good works will set me free, you will find the yoke leads you to feeling like a failure and nothing, nothing ever seems to be enough. There is always a yoke in our lives, friends, always a yoke. And our modern world keeps telling us, leave behind the expectations of others, get freedom from these yokes, when billions of dollars are spent by advertisers to get you to do just the opposite because advertisers know what it means to be human. They know we're all looking for a verdict. Am I enough? And they know that we will do whatever it takes and we will take on whatever yoke we believe will liberate us. Paul tells us the gospel is the only yoke that you can take on that won't crush you, that won't enslave you. Instead, it liberates you. Jesus is the only person you can surrender your life to instead of crushing you, was crushed. Instead of judging you, was judged. Instead of condemning you, was condemned. In your place, he stood. Whatever yoke you surrender your life to, you will have to surrender to something, by the way. That is what it means to be human. Whatever you surrender to other than Jesus will enslave you. But because the verdict with every other yoke is 
the, the verdict of enoughness comes after your performance, after what you've done, after what you've achieved, after what you've accomplished. Whatever it is, the verdict only comes after the performance. The verdict, and the problem is with that, is the verdict, there's never enough. There's, there's never enough to get there, to get the verdict. Paul tells us in the gospel, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we get the verdict before our performance. The, the verdict becomes before anything. We we, Jesus' performance becomes our performance. In the gospel, we receive the verdict and the standing that we're desperately looking for in a thousand other places and in a thousand other yokes. The gospel is liberating. And, and here's how you know that the gospel is beginning to liberate you. Here's how you know. First, we are embracing our limits. Uh, part of getting the gospel is resting in the finished work of Jesus and what he has done, finding freedom in our limits. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, uh, but we were created for freedom within our limits. Um, I love the way the author Peter Scazzaro talks about this. He says the story of Adam and Eve is the story of limits. Uh, God tells them, uh, you can have anything you want in the garden, anything. Look around, look around anything you want, except you cannot eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The creation story is a story of limits and what it means to be human. But what happens? <laughs> uh, well, since the beginning of time, we have seen limits as a sign of God's stinginess rather than a sign of God's love. And the serpent comes along and he lures and he entices us. And, he, and he'll say, you need freedom from limits. You need to break out of these limits. And what do we do? We try to be God, which means we try to be unlimited. And that's how we begin to experience a ruined life and a ruined soul. The gospel realigns us and allows God and only God to be God. Are you seeing freedom in your limits this morning? Where are you over your limits? Allow the gospel to liberate you this morning. Second, we are seeing the gifts, embracing the limits, seeing our gifts. James one tells us this. It says this, James one, do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Uh, the, the gospel allows you to see the gifts in our lives. If we, if we follow Paul's logic, we are sinners who've been saved by grace through Jesus. And we've been liberated out of old ways of viewing the world. We've received corrective lenses to see the gifts that are in our lives, all the grace that God has given us over and over undeserved. Um, I don't know if you've watched or seen or listened to the music from the Broadway Hamilton performance. Um, any Hamilton fans here? Okay, a few. Um, if you didn't, it tells the modern version biography of the life of Alexander Hamilton. Uh, now, not everything in the musical is true to life, uh, but a few things are uh, pretty accurate on the life of Alexander Hamilton. He grew up in poverty. Uh, he was brilliant. He was driven. Uh, he was always uh, looking ahead to the next thing in his life he was going to accomplish, rather being in the very place he was, which was right here in the moment. But his wife uh, sings him this song 
uh, I'm not going to sing for you this morning, but his wife sings him this song to see the gifts. See the gifts right here. She says, look around. This is what she says. Look around, look around. Look, look at where you are. Look at where you started. The fact that you're alive is a miracle. Just stay alive. That would be enough. She tells him, you have a child. Look around. Look, look at where you came from and where you are now. Look around. Do you see the gifts? Would that be enough? Would that be enough? Uh, the gospel allows us, friends, to be liberated from a world of keeping up, from the world of we don't have, from the world of longing for what we may have. Look around. Look around. Embracing our limits, seeing the gift, and finally receiving his yoke. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, every person must have a yoke. Every one of us. There must be an identity that we look to for life and meaning that that's what it means to be human. Every person, but every yoke other than Jesus will crush you. Uh, it will leave you exhausted. Um, the Judaizers came to the Galatians and told them that what makes a person right with God is they must be circumcised. If you want the good life, men, the Judaizers were saying you have to go under the knife. Now, I'm absolutely floored that this teaching actually garnered a following in the first century. I, I, I still can't believe that this actually took hold. Like men actually said, yeah, that sounds like the good life. I, 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 still, I still don't get it. I mean, someone came to me and said, hey, hey, uh, Tyler, uh, you want the good life? You want peace? You want joy? You want freedom? Have ice cream. Lots of ice cream. I can get behind that. I don't know about you, but I can get behind that. Someone comes and says, hey, you want the good life? Get circumcised. It's like, what? How did that garner a following? Now, I bet it was skewed more on the female side in the church in the early century, but I just don't get it. It just seems crazy that anyone would want to take that kind of yoke on. That kind of teaching. But it reminds me, we believe and trust in the craziest things. Things like hoard all your money, hoard it all, because that will make you happy. That's the good life. Uh, be consumed with what everyone else is doing in their life on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and forget to live your own life. That's the good life. Live your life full of regrets over things you cannot change rather than giving them to God. That is the good life. But friends, much like the first century, we take on silly, crazy yokes that don't liberate us and sadly leave us worse. The gospel is the only yoke. It is the only teaching that frees rather than enslaves. Uh, Jesus put it this way. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Friends, Jesus invites you to be set free this morning from exhaustion, from insecurity, from the constant need to perform, from the constant drive to keep up, from the yoke of all the messages promising the good life that will only leave us empty and come to him for his yoke is easy and light. Uh, This is a question I find myself asking a lot more recently, just throughout my day. Uh, Do I feel burdened? Um, do I feel overwhelmed? Am I worried about something in my life? Um, am I worried about something? Am I fearful about something? Well, I do have those moments just like you. And I quickly try to assess what is the yoke in my life that's ultimate that I'm allowing other than Jesus his yoke. Uh, I become aware there's another gospel promising me good news and freedom that has only left me more burdened. I don't know about you. But Jesus gently and graciously invites me again to receive his yoke, to follow him into life with God. Uh, Jesus came inviting people through his earthly ministry that they would experience life with him. And this would ultimately be the life that they are looking for. Jesus called it the gospel of the kingdom, which really means the good news of the with God life all throughout your day. God is with you. You were never alone. Nothing to fear. No matter what you are facing, no matter what you're going through, you can put your trust and confidence in Jesus to liberate you. Uh, Jesus used a very common practice of telling parables in the first century. It was very common. Um, And and listen to the ways he describes following him, receiving his yoke and that life with God. He he says the gospel is a pearl of great price, a pearl of great price. That's where he says uh, this gospel is like a treasure hidden in a field and who wouldn't go sell all they had to go buy that field to get that treasure. I heard a story recently of someone uh, back in the 80s was approached by a friend and said, hey, listen, there's this new company. They've come on the the stock market and I I think you should invest in them. I think you should check them out. Uh, This person who uh, I talked to had shared, they decided not to invest. It looked too fragile, too early on, didn't know where the company was heading. Uh, The company was called Apple. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, you think about regret. Wow. But imagine a rabbi comes and he says to you, hey, there is some apple stock buried in a field and no one yet knows about it. Do you want that field? Is the gospel and the good news proclaimed to you today about apple and it is for anyone who wants it. You better believe Everyone is selling what they have to get that field because they know the value. They know the value. Jesus says, life with me is the surest thing you can have. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm what you've been searching for. Jesus doesn't come and say, I'm coming to make your life really awful. He doesn't say that. But he does say you will have to lay aside whatever you've been running to for life and for freedom. No other yoke will cut it, but I will. Come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is liberating. And and, and when you put your trust and confidence in him, you will begin to see the ways he's been working in your life and the other yokes that have become slavery to you. And that really leads us to the second piece, which is the gospel is transforming. Uh, It's not only liberating, but it's transforming. Look at verse six. It says this, for through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ... Uh, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul tells us the gospel is liberating us, but it's also transforming us. 
And that's the common question some people have about the gospel theory. Is if Jesus takes care of everything, then we can live and do whatever we want, right? Um, that's Paul's issue he's dealing with elsewhere in the book of Romans. He says this in Romans 6. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Uh, the picture we get throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, is the gospel liberates us from the old man, the old desires, and we're transformed into this new creation that is Christ through the power of his resurrection. Um, the picture we get throughout the New Testament is we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, but that faith is never alone. That's the picture that we get. It, when we put our trust in Christ, the law that was once used to condemn us is now the law that transforms us and guides us and leads us. We see this right in our passage about this liberation that leads to transformation. Look at verse one again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, look at how Paul words it. He says, you've been liberated. Do whatever you want. Okay, he doesn't say that. He's, he says, uh, stand firm. He uses this word stecco, which is stele, which it comes from this idea of like a stone pillar, a monument. Uh, because you've been liberated, you now have the power of the spirit working in your life for transformation. So how does transformation happen? Well, Richard Lovelace is a church historian. He's written a lot on revivals throughout church history. And he, and he uses the illustration of a rod of iron and comparing a rod of iron to how transformation takes place. And he says, uh, there are two ways you can deal with a crooked piece of iron. You, you can grab it by the hands and sheer force, straighten it back to its original form. Um, but, he, but he says, uh, when you do that, you actually compromise the integrity of the iron. It, it actually becomes easier over time for it to become more crooked again. He says, that's one way you can deal with transformation. The second is that you put the rod of iron in the fire. You, you put it in the fire. And he, and he says, that's the way you shape it and you make it straight again. Friends, how do you know you've gone under the fire? Uh, how do you know the gospel is transforming you? Um, well, first, our passage in Paul asks you, are you growing in hope? Are you this morning growing in hope? Um, there was a German suicidologist, um, which sounds like a really tough job. Um, his name was Herbert Pluge, um, and I, I may be saying his name wrong, but he studied the lives of people who attempted suicide and uh, survived and then eventually recovered, but then miraculously began to flourish in their life. And he, he began to study their lives and to find out what what were these patients who finally got from such a distraught place in their life to now they're actually flourishing? What, what did they have? And, and in his research, he discovered, he found they had, quote, a foundational hope, a foundational hope, so, something that transcended the circumstances, something that made them a stone pillar in the storms. Pluge uh, said that this, uh, this transformational foundational hope uh, was what liberated them from all the little hopes that had driven them to such despair. The places we had hoped that aren't working, um, that they had to go through the fire to be liberated, but to come out the other side more grounded, more joyous, more full of hope. Are you this morning growing in hope? Our passage seems to think that's the transformation the gospel will bring. Look at, look at verse five. It says this. 
For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Uh, Hope not in what we can do, but what God has done. Hope in what God will do in Jesus. Hope not in my strength, but his. Hope in his righteousness, not mine. This passage says we are all eagerly waiting. That's what it means to be human, eagerly waiting. We're all waiting on something right now in our lives. We all have little hopes, as Herbert Pluge put it. Um, I heard a story about uh, this man who had really wanted to stop for a jelly donut at his favorite donut shop. And he drove into the parking lot, but of course, it's a, it sounds like it was a pretty popular place, so it, there's no parking. And he began to pray, and he said, uh, Lord, I really want to be obedient to your will, and I will know it is your will for me to have a jelly donut if there is a parking spot that opens up for me. Um, and so... Uh, on his 13th time around the parking lot, uh, there was a spot that, that had opened up. We are all waiting on something. Little hopes, little hopes. We're all waiting for something to get fixed or some issue to be resolved in our life. We want resolution. It could be a diagnosis. It could be an illness. We're all waiting, but Where is the foundational hope in your life, no matter the circumstances you face, that right here, as dark as it may look, it is holy ground. It is holy ground because God is with me. Psalm 23 that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing right here because God is with me. The gospel allows you to eagerly wait but eagerly wait with hope. We're no longer trying to control the future, but we can be content to hope, to hope in God, hope in God. What will God do? I'm excited to see. Um, I have issues with control. Just ask my family. I can be a control-aholic. I know I would fit in just fine at AA. Hi, my name is Tyler. I'm a control-aholic and a sinner. And that's where you say back, hi, Tyler. Hi, Tyler. But a friend wisely pointed out, it is not much fun and not very helpful to try to control your reality because you have very little control. But instead, my friend invited me to see that I can give over the future to God and into his hands. Hope in what he wills, eagerly wait, not in my wisdom, but his, not in my strength, but his. I can abandon the outcomes. Abandon the outcomes to him. Have you gone through the fire? Are you growing in hope? The gospel transfers you to grow in hope. It also transforms you to grow in love, in love. Look at, look at our passage again, right at the end, verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Uh, The gospel is transforming you because you no longer are dividing the world between the circumcision and the uncircumcision. The people who get it, like me, who have the right view on everything, like me. That's what the circumcision party was doing. And then the uncircumcision people, the people who don't get it, like them. Judaizers were critiquing Paul. If you loved God, Paul, you would have circumcised. They looked at Paul in disgust. You don't get it, Paul. 
You just don't get it. This is how they were thinking. These are the Jews. They were finding so saying, you just don't get it. Uh, it's getting to the place in life where we elevate our thoughts, our theology, our beliefs, and that's not the gospel. The gospel rather makes us humble. Uh, We don't spend our days judging others. Why don't they get it? We spend our days serving others. Uh, We spend our days loving others because of what Jesus has done for us. he, He keeps calling us to something greater, a community that's greater and better than what the world is offering us. Above the tribes in our culture that seek to divide and criticize and into a community of people who have gone through the fire together to seek to be known and follow Jesus and his way of peace. People who have gone through the fire and have been transformed and baptized and brought into God's church, a community of loving persons seeking to give our lives, our reputation, our resources and surrender all our smaller tribes away in love to him. As he leads, as he guides, are you growing in love? Are you growing in love? Uh, Oswald Chambers put it this way. This is a question I find myself coming back to over and over recently. Am I getting nobler, more helpful, more humble, more loving as I get older? Am I exhibiting the life that others take knowledge as having been with Jesus? Those are good questions, friends. Those are good questions. Have you gone through the fire of transformation by the gospel? I I love this story. Uh, There was a high-level executive, um, and on his team, uh, one of his subordinates uh, totally blew a project, just ruined the project. And and, uh, basically, in the fall, they should have been fired, but This boss took the blame for their mistake. And and after the dust had settled and and they still had their job, they they came to their boss and basically said, hey, um, listen, I've had bosses through my career. Um, They're always willing to take the credit when there's glory involved, uh, but never wanting to be a part of taking the blame when I blow it. Why did you do this? This is so not normal. And the boss tried to take the high road and was, and was sharing, oh, well, you know, listen, I, I've been here a long time. I'm higher up in the food chain. I knew I would lose some social capital, but I, I knew you would be fired if this happened to you. So I knew that I could take it. I could, I could deal with the reputation blow and everything be okay. But, but the, this, the subordinate kept pressing. No, 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 no. But, but, why, why would you do this? It makes no sense for you. And, and uh, the boss basically said, okay, you've asked, so I will tell you, listen, I am a Christian. And when I see how Jesus served me, how he took my condemnation, how he took my judgment, how could I not love you and do that for you? Uh, The subordinate had only one question left. Where do you go to church? And can I join you? Can I join you? Friends, when the gospel takes you through the fire, as it molds you and shapes you, you're able to begin to see all these places where loving and serving others begins to happen. And they may want to join you. They may want to join you. But our transformation only comes through seeing what Jesus did, how he went through the fire for us. 
seeing the depths that Jesus would go to show God's love to us, seeing the fire of hell that Jesus would take on so that nothing ever would separate us from the love of God, no matter what we face. That's what we celebrate when we come to this table of communion, the meal where we are invited to taste and see once again that God is good, the meal of transformation, that there is a life of grace for all who want it, for all who are tired of striving and searching for what only Jesus can give. Have you been liberated? Have you been set free? Have you gone through the fire? Taste and see. Taste and see. Let's pray. Well, gracious Father, we come to your table this morning as your church, knowing once again we need transformation. We need redemption. We need renewal. We need to taste and see that you are good. So remind us again this morning that you are with us. You love us. You never forsake us. And that you are good. We pray this in your name. Amen.